You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, y'all. My name is Cody Bebout. I have been a part of Free City for, <laughs> what's up? Uh, I've been a part of Free City for about seven years. Sorry, it's a little short. I helped lead the Bebout Terrell City Group. So, <laughs> Tim's in it. Um, <laughs> I serve in music, and I, which means I also serve in teardown and setup every week. Um, I'll be reading, no, it wasn't a cut. It was just, you know. I'm reading, uh, I'll be reading from Colossians 2, and that's in, on page 924 of the Bibles under the chairs. All right, Colossians 2, 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful morning, Lord, that we could come together um, and worship your name um, and preach to ourselves and to each other of your glory and your goodness and your love for us. Pray that we'd be satisfied in you, Lord. We pray that through the preaching of your word and through the singing of songs, um, Lord, that you would be magnified, that you would be made much of. Uh, in our hearts, and to each other, and to the world around us. Lord, we pray that you would be big, um, that we would focus and treasure and trust in you, Lord. Um, we thank you for Central. We thank you that uh, we have a place to meet. Lord, we, we pray that we're a blessing to the school, to the teachers, to the administrators, to the staff, the students, the families. Um, I pray, Lord, that somehow by us being here, uh, they would see you and experience you and experience your love and your grace for them. Um, yeah, Lord, we just, we know it's tumultuous and like school's crazy. And we pray, Lord, that you would give rest um, to everyone that works here, especially during the summer. Um, help them be re-energized and rejuvenated uh, by your spirit, Lord. Um, and again, help them to see you. Uh, thank you, Lord, um, for all that you do for us. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. My name is, uh, <laughs> I didn't even wait on you, which means I wasn't even caring that you would respond, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, my name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, man, okay. Uh, this morning, as you uh, might have heard, we're in uh, Colossians, and we're, we're, we just finished Ecclesiastes last week. If you're new with us this morning, um, we're thankful that you're here, and we hope that you feel welcome. If, uh, if you're just checking us out for the first time, or you have been drugged here by a friend, uh, it's good to see you, and um, I want you to know, we say this often, that uh, God intends that you would be here today. And, and so we hope that, that you have ears to hear um, his word this morning, that you would have eyes to see uh, a people gathered who have been uh, transformed by Jesus, and that you would actually walk out of this place hoping in Jesus as well. But last week, we, uh, we closed kind of the door on a, a time where we were in a season of uh, going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and last week, we had a share service, and man, it was a glorious time. There, like, maybe half of you were here, <laughs> but it was, uh, man, a wonderful time to hear over and over uh, stories of God's work in the life of his people, and, and the resounding thing um, that I was just so uh, thankful to hear and reminded of is the need for the family of God. 
Like, we, we just heard multiple stories where we'd be sitting in city group, individuals were in city group, or they might be sitting in the worship service, and they would, we kind of heard to varying degrees things of, man, when I just looked out and I saw people uh, who were ahead of me, uh, I, I thought, man, maybe I can hope uh, in this life. Um, where we sat across from one another and, and heard stories of, when I'm hopeless, uh, my brothers and sisters tell me, hope in, hope in God, hope in Jesus. And uh, what a fun time. Uh, to hear that. Great season in Ecclesiastes. And then uh, what we normally do, if, if you've been with us for a while, in the summers, we step into psalms. Um, Brian coined a good phrase for it earlier, and I think it was like psalmer, something like that. I don't know. That's not funny when I say it. It was funny when you said it. And, uh, and, and really, it's, it's summer in the psalms. Um, we, we think about, you know, really, this is a songbook of Jesus um, that, that he used when, when he would have been growing up, and, and what, what he would have seen as these songs are about him and, uh, and what the church has used for centuries uh, and history as really the, the heartbeat to, to lead us to worship God. You know, this morning we, we actually sang pretty much verbatim Psalm 42. And so as we look in the Psalms this, this summer, um, it, it kind of gives us a, a pulse for where we are to hope in Jesus, to see him in the midst of his word, and, uh, and to trust in him more. And so we'll be jumping into that next week, um, but this week we find ourselves in Colossians, just a one-off of sorts, uh, Colossians 2. And, uh, and here's the thing. Like, when we, when we think about the scriptures, or we think anywhere, um, we, we want to, like, consider the life that we live. And so you come in this place this morning, and you come from a week of uh, probably doing a lot of stuff. Like, you might punch the clock at work, and that's what you do. Um, you, you might be a student, and you're kind of off for the summer, and you might have gracious parents who you, like, don't have to do anything but watch Netflix this summer. Maybe you should do something more than just watch Netflix, but, but you find yourself like with a lot more freedom. Um, maybe you are a parent and uh, you find yourself running like a crazy person uh, to sports games, to summer camps, uh, to grandparents' house, and back and forth running your kids around. Uh, what, what we do is, is just in our lives, all together, all of us collectively, uh, the things we do, we, we talk about this often, are really what, what we're on the pathway to find uh, satisfaction or fulfillment in life. And so here's what I mean. Um, in my household, I'll, it's confession hour, so I realize I just naysayed Netflix. But my wife and I have been done with season four of Stranger Things for about a week now. If that tells you where we've been allocating our time. Uh, but there's something in that that we watch an episode and we finish that episode and we get into the next one and we're like, oh, it's 3 a.m., surely we'll be okay tomorrow. <laughs> and then uh, you wake up three hours later and you're like, I feel like death this week and the grass pollen is high and I'm absolutely still here, kind of. But, but we, give our, we give ourselves to things. We, we think about, um, that, that might be the leisurely things. You, you might find uh, yourself given to uh, shopping. Like we, we live in the Amazon age of next day delivery where Prime is like readily available. You could, you could go to Target or you could think, man, I don't really want to leave the house. This can be here tomorrow morning. I'll do that. And so you could find yourself there. You, you might find yourself punching the clock at work and, and really working to move up the ladder so that you might make more money, you might uh, gain more accolades or, or whatever might fill you. Or even um, as we just consider uh, the, the things, we, just where we give our lives and where we find fulfillment, where we're seeking to find fulfillment in our lives. I, I think all of us um, find ourselves searching for something. And we come here each week and, and we... Uh, take our eyes away from the things of this world and look to Jesus and, uh, and we hope that we walk out of this place each week stirred up in faith and good works, looking at Christ and uh, now go live for him in the world. But, but I think the thing is we walk out of this place and we regularly get back to this place of, man, I'm not real sure. I find myself in constant limbo, finding hope in stuff or finding hope in people um, and that wrestle of finding hope in Christ. And so I think this is what really leads us to why today's text is necessary for us. I think we're so prone to think of Jesus as simply a, a means for salvation, if you will. I think our temptation is to often take the information of the gospel and not allow it to actually transform us. I think 
a lot of times our, our natural disposition is to take the good news of Jesus and uh, I grew up in Oklahoma and so my grandfather was like super into, uh, if, if you've been to Brahms before, Brahms, they have, I, there you go, there's some Brahms lovers here. Uh, but they have like banana split Sundays, And so we think of Jesus as like the cherry on top, right? And you've got all these other things. Or he might be the book into the stack of books in the midst of your week and how you process your life. He may just come alongside to help you on your way to fulfillment. But, but I think this morning as Paul writes to us, as he writes to the Colossians and to us, what he's trying to tell us is that fulfilled, the fulfilled life, to find fulfillment in life it is to simply live life in Christ, to look to him. And, and this is what we say all the time, right? This is really the heartbeat of our church. When we say we exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus, we just want to take a big, long gaze eternally at Christ and welcome all the world to look at him as well. So let me pray for us and we'll get into the text this morning. Father, we come this morning and we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that we would see Jesus, we would see ourselves and our need, or that we wouldn't shy away from confessing our need and realizing um, our state before you. But as we realize our state before knowing you, that that would actually move us to worship you, and that would set our eyes, set our feet um, toward you, to walk in you, rooted in you, built up in you, established in your gospel, and giving thanks in all of our lives. So would we be a people who are that? Would you use your word to form us into that this morning? Amen. So that's where we're going this morning. The main idea is this, that the fulfilled life is the life in Christ. And what we might just say is like, just don't get distracted in life. Don't get caught looking at other things. Be captive be captives of Christ, be captivated by him. And so the way we're going to look at that point is really in, in three, that main idea is in three points. We're going to first say, remember your identity. Remember your identity. This is the beginning and the end of the matter. And so we're going to look at verses six and seven to get there. And then we're going to say, beware of the temptation to minimize Jesus. Beware of the temptation to look elsewhere for fulfillment. The nature of the threat. This is verses eight through 10, and then we're going to close by just saying, celebrate what Christ has done. Celebrate what Christ has done for you. That'll be 11 through 15, so let's get started. First point, remember your identity. Look at verse 6. Paul writes to us, and he says this. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 6 begins with the word therefore, and so what do we say when we get the word therefore? What's it there for, right? And so we go back to that which is, so we know that which follows this word is connected to which has already been said. And Paul has spent the opening of the letter to the Colossians really just shining a big, huge spotlight on Jesus. It's here that we have the, the famous Christ hymn, the preeminence of Jesus and who he is. He's declared that Jesus is the ruler of both the old creation and the new creation, and that Jesus is the substance of the mystery, not a mystery that's unknown, but the one that has been made known, God's plan for human history to save mankind. And that Jesus is, as Colossians 2, 3 says, the very source of all wisdom and all knowledge. And Paul's reminded the Colossians that they have already previously responded to the gospel of Jesus, that, that they actually learned this from Epaphras. Epaphras came and he preached the word, and they, in hearing the word of God, have given themselves to Christ's service. We see this in chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, and at the end of chapter 1. But in my estimation, when, when I see the word therefore, I usually think there's like something new going to happen. We transition into a new thought, but when Paul uses therefore here in verse 6, he, he's in essence just saying, I want you to just keep going. He just continues to build on what he's already said with, with like kind of that arm around the shoulder, hand in the middle of the back. He, he pastors the flock and he simply says, I want you to listen to this. Here's who Jesus is. Remember your identity. Look again at the, ver the beginning of verse six. He, he says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
You see, for the church at Colossae and for us, there was a time when they were not identified as Christ. And we must not forget this. This is our story, lest we miss the wonder of our current reality if you're in Christ. Just a few verses back in Colossians 1, verse 21, Paul reminded the Colossians of their past. And here's what he says. He says, you who were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. And we'll stop right there and we'll look at 22 in a second. But to be alienated is to be estranged, to be cut off from God's people, to be cut off from God's promises, to be, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 12, to be without hope and without God in the world, alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds. And this is not some, like, passivity. You're not passively living life. Like, hostile, you're not sitting on your hands, doing evil deeds, this is active. But, but then what we have is this great turning point. Given our predicament, of being in sin. The next verse is absolutely astounding of what Christ has done. It says this, that he, Jesus, in Colossians 1.22, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So the alienated, the hostile, the evil are now made holy and blameless and above reproach before God the Father, all because of Jesus. And this is the heart of what Paul's calling us to. He, he says, remember not just who you were, but now in light of Christ, remember whose you are. Look at the description attached to Jesus in verse six. Paul says, Christ Jesus, the Lord. This may seem like pretty normal to say, this is a regular confession of faith. It is the foundation of everything. When we baptize people regularly here at Free City, uh, you hear them profess, Jesus is Lord, right? We hear that all the time. But under the surface, when Paul's writing this, there's a risk at hand. As he wrote this, the, the very willingness to call Jesus the Lord it is a sign of one who is captive to his lordship and his lordship alone. You see, in, in the Roman world, Caesar was Lord. And, and fear in that day was, was not to like uh, be canceled or shunned from society. It wasn't to uh, just be looked down upon if you failed to acknowledge Caesar's reign. But actually, if you ignored the guy who we see on the $5 hot and ready box, you may potentially be put to death. And what's crazy here is that Paul absolutely knows this. Paul is in this moment writing from a prison cell. And after all, he, uh, he, he knows as what it will get him and, and how he will be, would be in prison. But, but he still unashamedly calls the Colossians to proclaim Jesus Christ the Lord. For there is no other Lord. And they can proclaim Christ's lordship, as, as Paul calls them to, because they have already been dead in their trespasses, as Colossians 2.13 says. But now God has made them alive together with Christ so that they actually no longer have anything to fear, not even death itself, not Caesar, not even death itself. Paul reminds the Colossians of their identity in Christ Jesus, the Lord, and, and having reminded them of their identity, he, he then just says, so walk in him. The Christian Standard Bible actually just says, so continue to walk in him, as you're already doing. He says, look no further, add nothing else. Jesus is Lord. He is enough. Then Paul gives us a picture of what walking in Christ looks like. Look at verse 7. He says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Rooted. Doesn't this call to mind like a tree or some type of vegetation? Consider the tree imagery. A couple summers back, two summers ago, uh, my wife and I were making plans to pour a concrete slab in our backyard to just add patio space. And, and that seems pretty easy. Like, you hire someone to do the work, you pay them, voila, here we are. We're sitting out, chilling, finding our beach, right? That's the thing. However, in our backyard, where we needed to pour the slab, 
uh, we had an irrigation system under the ground. And uh, I have had to do a little bit of maintenance on my irrigation system before and realized I could not afford to pay someone to move it. So because of that, we're going to just move it ourselves. Well, what I didn't consider initially is that about 15 feet to the north of where my irrigation line is, there's about a 50-foot-tall maple tree. And uh, what I needed to do, as you can probably imagine, was to dig up the current irrigation, dig a new trench to put to move it. And uh, what I thought was just going to kind of be an afternoon and me bonding with the trenching shovel and, you know, a big jug of water turned into a weekend and a lot of hours and blisters and being worn out and ultimately just hopping in the truck and headed to Home Depot to rent a trencher. That's what I should have done in the first place. So if you wind up needing to do this, just go rent the trencher. Don't waste your time. Spend the extra money. I should have started there. But here's the thing. I wound up getting the trencher, digging a trench about 40 feet long and about 18 feet deep, 18 inches deep. And the entire way, as I'm running this straight line east to west in my backyard, the machine was cutting roots. And I'm sure to some extent, like, maybe it did a little bit of damage to the root system of cutting the tree roots. But I guarantee I didn't even begin to weaken the tree. You know, even in stormy seasons, our maple tree has dropped a few branches or, or dead branches up in the, in the higher up, if I've done a poor job of keeping it trimmed up. But the tree as a whole has never been shaken, and still to this day, two years later, has never been shaken because it's rooted. And so a tree's roots provide its source of strength. The roots nourish, and they sustain, and they drought-proof the tree. And, and the same is, though, is true for those who are in Christ. It's necessary that we're rooted in him. While roots are not always seen, they sustain when walking in Christ, we'll bear fruit in season, but our leaves won't wither. This is the word of Psalm 1, verse 3. Be rooted in him. Rooted, and then Paul says, and built up. If the roots are the unseen, then to be built up in part is the visible aspect of the identity in Christ. We could think of it as like a building constructed in the middle of the city, standing tall, can be seen from miles and miles away. It's engineered to withstand time and weather, readily visible to all who have eyes to see. And so is the Christian life. It's, it's visible to the world around, not as an isolated individual on a lonely island, but built upon the gospel, transformed by Jesus and testifying of his goodness in all of life, in all the world. Paul continues in verse 7, and he says, then to be established in the faith. Faith here is used as really a, a summary of the gospel message. Strengthened in the faith that you were taught. It's not some arbitrary faith built on like just whatever you picked up specific. This was delivered, the gospel delivered by Epaphras to the church at Colossae. It's the good news of Christ where true fulfillment is found. The very reason that Paul writes to these people. When one is rooted, built up, and established in Christ, you begin to understand your identity. The past identity, the, the present reality, and your future hope. And, and when all these things are considered, the overflow of this is thanksgiving. And how important is thanksgiving in your life? Like, over the last handful of weeks, within the last month, we, we kind of talked about life transformation groups, and we talked about various aspects of, of how we um, consider just like spiritual disciplines. And one of those things was thinking gratitude. You know, we could kind of use that interchangeable with thanksgiving. But this is a, a thing that we really need to practice and stir up. In our household, um, each night, we put our kids to bed, and uh, it's a, it's the, they're easy to go to bed, so it's not like a big having to get them in bed, but it's, a, it's the whole family in their room, and they share a room, so Blythe's on her bed, and Ike is on his bed, and we gather around, and we read a book together. We may read from the scriptures, and, and then we pray together, and we sing together, and, and that's just our regular night. But what we do every single night is, you know, what are you thankful to God for? And every night, my son Isaac, we get to him, and it's like, all right, buddy, what are you thankful for today? And he says, I don't know. And, 
And it's crazy because what, what has happened most of the time, not most, a lot of times, is maybe 15 minutes before this, like before he brushed his teeth and before we had to tell him 20 times to get in bed, he, he was sitting at the island with his mom and dad and his big sister with like a pazuki with four scoops of ice cream gorging his face and sweets. He can't even think, man, I'm thankful for that. Or maybe he's played Switch and he's had some allocated time today and he's been gaming his brains. Not even that, not jumping on the trampoline, not all the laughter that I've heard throughout the day. But isn't this so true for us? Like, I don't typically just naturally consider Thanksgiving. It's not a natural movement. And when I consider, like, why is Thanksgiving so difficult? I think it's really, for me at least, because of my overly high view of self. I think of myself as like kind of self-made, self-sustained. It's a lie that I so regularly buy into it. And the thing is, Thanksgiving requires us to look outside of self. For the self-made have little time for gratitude, right? And this is specifically why Paul instructs us to abound in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the response when we understand we are sustained and saved by another. So consider this text. Being rooted, being built up, being established. All of those three things, that's the work of Jesus, right? This is the work of Christ. Thanksgiving is the overflow, our part, if you will, the acknowledgement of what he's done when we return praise back to him. Thanksgiving can take place even in dark days when we understand the privilege and wonder of knowing Christ and what he's done. It's when we remember our identity. And this is the basis for the fulfilled life. So first, Paul calls us to remember who we were, remember who we are now in light of Jesus. And then he issues this warning. He says, beware of the temptation to minimize Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Well, this text is really clear, right? The application is uh, take your philosophy books, burn them, throw them in the trash. If you're a student, uh, if you're a philosophy major, you should probably change it and upset your parents again because you're still undecided, right? That's how that works. No, of course not. Paul is writing to the Colossians, and this is the same Paul who in Acts 17 stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he engaged with the philosophies of the culture. He's not opposed to using philosophy. He, he actually, uh, we see if we look at the, at the book of Acts in chapter 17, we see him actually engage in some of the views of culture in a way to preach Jesus. He, he has a wide breadth of understanding. But what Paul is opposed to is any teaching or teacher that points to fulfillment in anyone or anything other than Jesus. And here's how we need to see this. Like when, when we think about living the Christian life, if you call yourself a, a Christian, you need to realize like Christ has put you into culture. And I think what we often have is, is this temptation to synthesize the two. To think of them as pretty balanced, interchangeable. Culture can be interpreted by Jesus, and Jesus can be interpreted by culture, and they can ebb and flow back and forth. But the thing is, they're not on the level playing field. For we don't have like some sort of give and take between what Jesus says and what culture says. We need to understand that, that life is for the Christian, that Jesus has regenerated your heart. He's put you here that he might use your transformation to in turn transform the culture around you, that you get to be included in his work. So Christ's goal in life and with culture is to transform culture. After all, he's renewing all things, right? What world is he transforming? This one or some other world? This is his movement. We live in a day and age where deception specifically among Christians becomes epidemic. Like today's cultural rhetoric is, is so readily inclusive of, of those who are willing and, and able to play by kind of the, the ever-changing, the unwritten rules of society at large. My guess is that many of you in this room 
side with the same things that I experience, you, you may feel exhausted when you look at the world around or, or you're kind of caught in doom scrolling the internet what you read. Or you may be un, even unknowingly caught up in the ever-changing cultural shifts. You may be stuck in ruminating upon the nightly news or constant morphing views on sexuality or race. You maybe find yourself given to some moralistic therapeutic deism or whatever else might seem to fill the schedule or fill your screen. When considering cultural issues, when thinking about the world around us at hand, philosophies, traditions, we as Christians must begin with the question, who sets the tone for us? For Christians, our answer is always Jesus. And once we settle that understanding, once we know and live in that, then we know how to enter into the world. Usually, our entering in now is concerned with redefining the conversation entirely at hand. And so this means we don't have to settle when we engage in life with, uh, man, I don't know, and we don't have to settle with or be scared of uh, coming at odds with individuals or even ourselves to question one another when it's kind of like, well, that's your truth, but this is my truth. For Jesus Christ, the Lord, is truth. And so think about the present persuasion that God's intent is, is that, think about the per current present uh, persuasion and culture that, that really God's intent is for you to just love and accept everyone as they are. There's like a widely held view that, man, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect the way you are. To, and to, it's really followed with to say anything else to someone is actually unloving. You're just fine the way you are. But, but if we consider that and we are given to that, haven't we done away with the need for a savior? We've whitewashed sin. The thing is, God doesn't affirm you in your sin. And, and actually, to go against that is, is to the most loving thing. It would be to point your friends to the reality of sin and the need for Jesus. What is unloving is to allow friends to continue to be alienated from God, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus absolutely comes to you as you are, but thanks be to God that he doesn't leave you as you are. Paul calls us back to consider the foundation of philosophies, traditions at hand. He says, Christ is the tradition that you've received. He's the one you're established in, rooted in, built upon, and to settle anywhere else is to be deceived. And so I want you to hear me clearly in this. It's not a call to disconnect from culture. It's not one that we should just ignore or step back and then throw out the blanket statement. Well, Jesus is Lord, although that is a great starting place, and that is the foundation. It's a call to lean in and engage. Paul calls us to walk in Christ, established, rooted, built up, abounding in thanksgiving before he provides the warning here. And if you consider, as I mentioned a moment ago, Acts 17, 22 through 31, Paul knows that God has established you. He knows that God is the one who gives you breath in your lungs. He numbers your days as well as your dwelling place so that you might, being rooted, built up, established in the gospel and abounding in thanksgiving, that you might share about the God who has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we've got to hear Paul's warning. Beware of the temptation to minimize Christ. When you think about your life, do you tend to minimize Jesus or do you magnify Jesus? Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So after a verse of warning, Paul pulls us back into this foundation. He seems to echo in verse 10, he echoes verse 6 because Christ Jesus is the Lord who is the head of all rule and authority. But we don't want to miss verse 9. The fullness of God dwells within Christ. This is Colossians 1.19. And then check this out. Christ, who is the fullness of God, dwells in you. Verse 10 says, you have been filled with him. And it's these grounds that Paul warns us 
to beware of the temptation to minimize Jesus. So how might you be tempted to minimize Christ? Is he simply an add-on in your life? Does, does the ideology that you find yourself holding, does it have Jesus as Lord or something or someone else as Lord? Maybe even yourself. Moving into social situations, do you find yourself more concerned with disappointing your social cir- circle or being at odds with comfort than you are with being obedient to Jesus and seeing him as Lord? Or do you even just think when you're among people, are you able to receive pushback in your life from others? And I don't mean pushback in the sense of you need to adopt the viewpoint of the people who are pushing back on your views. I mean pushback in the sense that we would lean into the word of God. We would understand more of the heart of God. Because here's the thing, to know the heart of God, you've got to open the mouth of Christ, which is the word of God. Who is central in your life? You or Jesus? And, and then how could you know? How would you know? One practical and, and I think critical, what we believe here is a critical way for you to evaluate this would be to get among the people of God. One way that we do that here is through city groups and life transformation groups. And, and really these are city groups are just a, a gathering place where we come together, we fellowship, we deepen and develop relationships and look to Jesus and we walk this life together. It's really the practice of the first few verses of this text that we'd be rooted and built up and established in the word and we would abound in thanksgiving. That's really just the movement that we practice. But what would be helpful is to get among the people of God and then open yourself enough to let them speak into your life, which means you've got to speak about what you actually believe. Not just the things you post on social media and then you don't talk about them among the people of God, but that you would talk about them and that you would open up and, and hear them speak back to you and point you to Jesus. Rather than finding the feedback loop of like confirmation bias where you only hear things that agree with you, you would come around the people of God to help you see the authority of Christ. And Paul's intent is to exhort and encourage the church here. Like, when outside ideas and and things thwarting Jesus as Lord come up, and and they will always and forever, we're warned of this, don't be deceived. You'll be presented with plenty of opportunities in your life to doubt God's goodness, to minimize Jesus as new and seemingly exciting ideas or philosophies come into play. But don't get caught in the fads. Be rooted in Christ, in his word, and among his people. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 says, take care, brothers, lest any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall astray, from, or leading you to fall, lest there be in you any in an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall astray from the living God. But exhort one another each day, as long as it is today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Deceitful schemes and philosophies have a way of appealing to us. They promise us life, but will never deliver. And what we must be reminded of is to look to Jesus for fulfilled life is only the life in him. And Paul wants us to see this. So he warns us not to minimize Jesus. So he said, remember your identity of who you were and who you are now. Don't minimize Christ in this life. And then he moves on to say, celebrate what Jesus has done. We've got to be a people able to celebrate. It's it's a hard thing, right? I think when we gather in this place, the one time that I always know we celebrate is when we baptize people, it gets pretty loud and crazy in here. And then Easter Sunday, people like jumping up and down and running in the aisles. We turn into like the crazy charismatics and the rest of the year we're like cessationists. (laughs) Right? We serve the living God who's active, whose spirit dwells within us. We were a dead people, but now we're alive. We've, we have great reason to be thankful. We've got to speak this, celebrate this in our lives. Look at verses 11 through 15. It says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He's disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Verse 11 perhaps gives us a clue into at least part of the false teaching in which Paul is opposed. So consider the traditions of the day. Up until, the old, up until Christ, the Old Testament still is because there's a, a Messiah. The old, Test, the old Covenant points to a Messiah, but many have missed the Christ to whom it points. The Old Testament was the faith of the Jews. And this is still true today, right? But Paul has clarified that the mystery hidden for ages and ages and generations is actually Jesus. He says this in Colossians 1.26. Now, while circumcision was and had been a sign of God's covenant with his people in the Old Testament, Genesis 17.10, we see this. Here in Colossians 2.11, Paul tells us that circumcision was a pointer to which and what God would do in the hearts of his people as he did away with their sin through Christ. We see shadows of circumcision of Christ in the Old Testament. Moses calls Israel in Deuteronomy 10, 16. He, he says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And Jeremiah uses a similar language. Jeremiah 9, 25 and 26, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. So here in Colossians 2, Paul ties the references of circumcision with baptism, and he ties them together by saying, in him, at the beginning of 11, it is in Christ that we have been circumcised. Our, our sinful desires have been stripped off, and also it is in Christ that we have been baptized. He is the one who's brought us from death to life through his death and resurrection, and this is the very picture of what we partake in publicly when we baptize people here. It's what we receive in Christ. The wonder of all of this, both of these things, circumcision and baptism is that both of them are the work of Christ. They're not our work. It's what he does. Circumcision of the heart, it's not done with human hands. And then consider the picture of baptism. Like dead people don't get up out of the grave. What we experience is entirely, thoroughly of Christ. There's nothing we can possibly contribute to what Jesus has done for us. Nothing at all. And here's where thankfulness comes to play. Look again at verse 14. It says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When we understand the guilt on our hands because of sin, when we actually understand what sin does to us, that it cuts us off from God himself, only then can we celebrate what Christ has done for us. We've got to know the bad news to get to the good news. If we forget this, we altogether eliminate the need for Jesus. Like, you remember the call to worship this morning? Romans 8.1, it was 8.1 and 2, but it is that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So often in our lives, we, we toy with sin. When in dating relationships within friends, I regularly hear kind of these questions that are sometimes along the lines of like, man, how far is too far? Or we minimize sin. Like maybe we wrong friends or our spouses or family, and we excuse ourselves saying, well, yeah, I guess I wronged them, but like, Man, you should really hear what they've done to me. And altogether, when we do this, we miss the heart of the matter. To the rebellious, the prophet Isaiah questions, why will you still be struck down? 
Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. Friends, sin is bad news for all of us. But it's not fake news. It's true. It's the real thing. In and of ourselves, we are not able to not sin. We are effectively without hope and without God in the world because of it. God's love, as we've said, it doesn't affirm us in our sin. But thankfully, that's not the last word. For God the Father has, as Colossians 2 says, canceled the record of debt that we incurred with its legal demands as his son, Jesus Christ, took our place upon the cross. Thanks be to God that the solution to the problem of sin also falls to God, against whom our sin is actually and fully committed. And notice to the extent of which our debt is covered. Verses 13 and 14 say, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. And this is the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done to forgive sin, to defeat death and hell, and to restore us to the life that we were created to live. And this is our reason to rejoice. When we understand who we were and who Christ has made us, our current identity now, our lives are fueled by this reality. We abound in thanksgiving and we celebrate what Christ has done. And so how do you celebrate Christ's work in your life? Like where do you practice thanksgiving? You know, we do this each week. Here we celebrate, we come together and sing songs, we fellowship together, and our very gathering is an outworking of celebration, right? We think of this a lot more as a party rather than a funeral. Because we were a dead people, but now we have hope and reason to celebrate. And I hope that also in your life, in your household, that Thanksgiving is a central part. Or maybe it should become a central part. When you consider hanging out with your friends, among them, do you stir up each other to love and good works, treasuring Jesus, remembering, recalling, man, all we deserve is hell. But thanks be to God for Jesus. If you're a parent... Maybe you have regular praise for God and what he's done in your life, and then you would just beg him to do the same in the lives of your kids. Like, to be thankful, it requires looking for opportunities. And I don't think we have to look far. Like, when we think about work or talking with your neighbors or your family functions, ball games, whatever it may be, just consider chances to speak of God's goodness to, through Christ in your life. I don't think it's that hard. If we are people rooted, built up, established in here, then this would just be the overflow of our life. Because it's the truest thing about us. It's the most wonderful news we've ever heard in our lives, that Jesus is Lord, and we were dead people, but now we're alive in him. And it's nothing that we've done. And, And he holds us securely. But also, I think there's a, a call to those of you, if you don't follow Jesus, I think overflow and celebration could absolutely just be receiving Christ Jesus as the Lord, trusting in him that God himself has canceled your record of sin. If you would look to Jesus, trust in him, confess your need, receive him as Lord. And actually, you would begin to celebrate, and we too would celebrate as a family as you receive the debt cancellation from the Father and find the fullness of life in Christ. In closing, look at verse 15. It says, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And this is Jesus, our mighty conqueror. He is the Lord and everyone and everything is subject to him, his rule and his authority. He's made us alive through his cross and he's conquered his enemies through his cross. N.T. Wright, in his book, Following Jesus, he explains it this way. He says, The cross was not the defeat of Christ at the hands of powers. It was the defeat of the powers at the hands, yes, the bleeding hands, of Christ. And isn't this what we celebrate each week in communion? We celebrate the Christ, the one who bled on our behalf, who went to the cross to take our sins and to give us his righteousness. When we come together each week, 
we take the bread and the wine. We remember that Jesus' blood was shed to give us life. His body was broken so that we might find fullness. We might find healing. We might be put together, restored as his people, among his people. And we come together each week as we come to this table and we remember our identity. We remember that we were once a people who were without God in the world. We were hostile in mind doing only evil deeds. We remember now what Christ has done. We signal to one another as we taste, man, beware of the temptation to minimize Jesus. He's real, he's alive, he's Lord. And we celebrate what Christ has done. As we rejoice, we look at the face of one another and we sing together of Christ's goodness. And so, brothers and sisters, remember your identity in Jesus. Beware of the temptation to minimize him and celebrate what he has done in your life. Your record's been canceled. You're forgiven. Shame is no longer on you, but on the enemies of Christ. He's defeated it once and for all. The power of God is at work in you now, but also will hold you for eternity. Because of Jesus, the fulfilled life is ours to live. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We give thanks to you who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. We give thanks to you, Father, who has sent your Son to deliver us from darkness into life, transfer us to a new kingdom. And Jesus, we worship you, the one in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so as we come together this morning, would you stir within our hearts? Would you stoke the fire of thanksgiving within us? Would you help us look nowhere else but to you, Jesus, to find fulfillment? Remind us of who we were. But as we give thanks, would that not allow us to be stuck in who we were, but would we celebrate? Would it be on our lips of who you have made us? In Jesus' name, amen.